0: over the years, I've been here a lot of, many times, um, you guys have hosted the uh, Greater Cleveland Area Ministers more than a few times, um, OMN or Ministry Network Special Events have been here, and so it's it's kind of satisfying. I remember your ministry to us as ministers, and you're actually, one of the things I, I have to treasure, and I don't know if uh, if the particular chefs are here, but I've had more than a few delicious meals in this building. So it's nice to be back. <laughs> but I'm also glad to be here because um, over the last couple of years, I have gotten to know uh, Pastor Galen uh, better because as, as his role has changed, I've had more opportunity to interact with him. And uh, I've come to respect him and Carly for their dedication to the cause of Christ, for their uh, determination to make sure that the gospel goes outside beyond the walls of the church and, uh, and, and, and for their, their simply their, their willingness to serve us as other ministers in the greater Cleveland area. So I am, I'm glad to be here for all those reasons, because of you and all that you have done for, for Cleveland and for the greater Cleveland area ministers and because Galen has become a friend. Um, and, you know, as we were singing, um, I thought sometimes it's, it's helpful. <laughs> helpful to remember where the words we sing come from. And uh, and in that last song, you know, your, your goodness is running after me. It's kind of an odd thought, but it's right from the Bible, right? Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, right? And that's kind of where that draws from. But it also says... Um, You know, I can't remember how it said it. Um, You're faithful. Uh, You can remember the song, perhaps. But where does that little phrase, God's faithfulness is great, come from? It comes right out of Lamentations. Let me just remind you. So it's a very famous verse. I'm sure you've read it and heard it. Um, Here's what it says. Um, This is Jeremiah writing about the sadness when Jerusalem was destroyed, or, uh, you know, taken over. He remembers, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of those moments. I remember them well, and my soul is da- downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Okay, Jeremiah's feeling pretty bad, but he finds hope when he remembers this. Because of the Lord's great love, We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So where do we get that wonderful phrase? From Jeremiah's grief and mourning. He's feeling terrible, but he remembers the Lord's great love, and he knows that Lord's compassions never fail, and he finds hope. Here's what I want to do today for you. I hope, I want to I hope to re-energize your hope. I hope that you leave this building today more hopeful than when you came in. And that you'll find a hope that can uh, inspire godly living, that can inspire you to do what God wants you to do on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, and there's a reason why I'm here. Uh, I, I myself was a, became aware. I think the Lord brought it to my mind. That my hope was in the background, my hope was not very strong. I, I it was there, but was it energizing me? No. And the Lord captivated me with this verse from First Peter. So, if you guys can stick that up, that first slide. Peter says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Right." into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now there's a lot there, but I want you to focus on that little phrase, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what I want to do. I'm hoping that you will feel hopeful (laughs) when you leave this service today. Everybody wants hope, right? And everybody, I think, has a God-given appetite to go after hope. You know, whenever it may be in short supply, you want more of it. You want to be hopeful. I think it's just built into us. Um, You probably have heard the saying, I'm sure you have, where there is life, there is hope, right? Right? Where there is life, there's hope. Which, which simply says that as long as somebody is alive, they can almost always find a reason for hope. Um, you know, as long as we're living, we're going to grope for and find something to be hopeful about. But here's the reality. That's not always how it happens. thats That doesn't always work. There are times when people lose hope, when they become hopeless, when, when, when the light of life goes dark, you know, when, when it looks like we're at a dead end. There are those, those moments, and I don't know if anybody's maybe feeling a bit down, maybe a bit hopeless. Well, if so, I'm going to, God willing, encourage you today because, because that's certainly not the way God wants us to live, right? Hopelessly wants us to live hopefully. Uh, would you agree with that? Would you rather be hopeful or hopeless? <laughs> I mean, I'd, I, I don't know about you, but I, I do not enjoy waking up in the morning and saying, oh good, today I can be depressed. <laughs> uh, you've never done that, I'm sure. Um, you rather wake up and you're looking for something good. You want to fi- start the day with a little bit of hope. Every day is like that, and honestly, I think our lives are like that. We are hope-based creatures. I believe that's true, but sometimes hope fizzles out. A guy named Viktor Frankl endured the concentration camps in World War II. He became a, a world-famous psychiatrist and wrote a little book called Man's Search for Meaning, and uh, and he saw during his time in the concentration camp that while some prisoners, some prisoners just withered and died, other prisoners remained strong and resilient. And he was trying to figure out what made the difference between them. And he, and he gives this account of one of his friends in the, in the concentration camp. He said this, one of my friends in the camp had a dream that the war would end on March 30th. And he was just convinced that that dream was a revelation. But as the day drew closer, and the news reports made it very obvious that the war was not ending soon, he began to lose hope. On March 29th, he began to run a fever. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. On March 31st, he died. And here's what Frankel says. His loss of hope had lowered his resistance to all the diseases in the camp. Without hope, he couldn't survive. And here's how he concludes. If a prisoner lost faith in his future, he was doomed. It's like us. We need hope. We need hope. The more hope, the better. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I think it'd be wiser if we could turn that little statement that I, that familiar quote that I I, I presented before, just turn it around and say this, instead of where there is life, there is hope, how about we say it, where there is hope, there is life. Where there's hope, there's life, and we need hope in order to live. I think that's true. Um, and, 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 and the fact, hope is crucial for living life, and it's more crucial than ever in our contemporary world, because hope is in short, supply. Would you agree? I hope you don't watch too much news, but if you do, I doubt if it builds you up. <laughs> uh, very likely, it's a burden to bear the ongoings in the world around us. And it's just a fact. I mean, the rates of depression and uh, despair are at all-time highs. I mean, survey after survey shows that, one survey shows that we recently hit an all-time high for suicide rates. I mean, the suicide rate increased 24% between 1999 and 2014. And most of that increase was in the most recent years, and sadly, the projections continue. It's a pretty hopeless time. And so, you know, experts have asked the question, okay, why is this? And some of them have suggested, well, it's because of diminishing economic hopes. That is to say that, you know, the economic uncertainty is, is, is driving people. But that doesn't explain the fact that the suicide rate tripled for young girls between the ages of 10 and 14. It wasn't economy that drove that despair. There are other forces at work, and survey after survey indicates that people in the U.S. and in Europe are losing hope about the future. Their confidence in the future is diminishing, right? So we're in a kind of hope-starved era, and we need hope. Amen? Thankfully, Christianity is loaded with hope. The gospel is loaded with hope, and that's what we're going to look at today. I mean, Paul knows that hope is crucial for vital living, and when he lists the three greatest virtues, he includes hope, right? What does he say? Um, I think we have a PowerPoint there. Um, These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, right? So if love is the greatest virtue and faith uh, for Christians is like a close second, hope is kind of like the trailer. It's like the least appreciated of these three virtues. It's a virtue, but it's in the background, right? I believe most of us underestimate the power of hope. Maybe that's because of the way we use the word. I mean, what do we mean when we say I hope it doesn't rain today, what do we mean? We mean, it looks like it's going to rain, it might rain, but I'm not sure. Right? And, I mean, the sun's barely peeking behind those clouds, I hope it doesn't rain, but I'm not sure whether it's going to rain or not. Or if we say, I hope I get that job that I just applied for, what we're saying is, I might get it, I want to get it, but I'm not sure I will. Right? I mean, it's uncertain. Maybe because of the way we use that word in English, but that's what we think of. Hope for us then connotes something that is uncertain. But dear friends, in the New Testament, the word is used to indicate a certainty, something that has a certainty about something that has not yet happened, but we know for sure that it's going to happen. So when the New Testament points to hope, it's not saying we're unsure about this. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. No, the New Testament is saying although it hasn't happened, we know it's going to happen. Hope in the New Testament conveys a certainty that good things are coming. That the best is yet to come, in fact. (laughs) That's, that's, That's the New Testament hope. Well... I believe that we need to boost our appreciation for hope. Uh, and, and that sometimes we underestimate the power that a hopeful vision of the future has to shape the way we live today. Just, just consider this. Let's say there are two, uh, two women that were both offered um, a job, the same job. And, uh, and, and the job is, is essentially assembling widgets, right? Right? It's not not particularly demanding, and it's it's just a job. And one woman has said, here, if you'll do this for 40 hours a week, we'll give you $30,000 a year. And she says, yes, I'll take the job. Another woman, same job, same conditions, same same circumstances said, in private, if you'll do this job for a year, we'll give you $30 million. Now, they go to work, and they're doing the same thing, they're, you know, they're assembling widgets. And the first lady says to the second, after a couple of weeks, the first lady says, to the, isn't this job driving you crazy? I mean, isn't it just so boring and so deadly and so just uninteresting? I mean, I don't know if I can take this for very long. I don't know if I can do this for a year. And the other woman smiles at her and says, I'm great. <laughs> I love it. And I'm whistling while I work what's the difference between these two ladies? What they expect about the future. One's going to get a mere $30,000. That's a lot of work. The other one's going to get $30 million. That's a bargain. (laughs) Right? So, but their attitude about the future completely changed their experience in the present. That can be true for us. If we have a vivid, a living hope, as Peter said, our present is very different than if we live without hope. Amen? So, uh, what, so, so we, uh, a living hope, um, I want you to look at that again, First Peter chapter 3, um, uh, First Peter chapter 1, verse three, right? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter, I'm sure, Peter had a living hope when he wrote that. You know who Peter was. I mean, Peter was the great apostle, right? The, 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 the rock on which Jesus built the church, or his faith at least, the rock on which. And uh, at the time he wrote this, however, this was sort of the end of his life. And Peter was told that he was going to die for the cause of Christ. You may recall that in John chapter 21. He's given that hint. And, uh, and, 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 and Peter is approaching that moment. He's aware. In fact, we see in Second Peter, he's aware that he's going to do so soon. But his hope is alive. It's alive and well. It's pulsing with energy in him. It keeps him going. It motivates him. It causes him to write this incredible letter, which if you haven't read recently, 1 Peter is a dazzling, uh, inspirational letter. And Peter's got living hope. And if we want that same kind of hope, there's something we can do. And we're going to do it today. And that is we're going to think closely about the hope that the, the gospel promises, that God, that God promises us. And we're going we're gonna to meditate on it, just think about it for a little while, and ask the Lord to help us understand it. Because, you know, hope isn't just an idea. It's got to be something deeper than our thoughts. And our thoughts is where it all begins, but it's got to sink deeper. And only God can put our hope in our hearts, Uh, Paul wants us to have hope, right? He even prays for us that we will have hope. Here's what he prays. That Next slide, please. Paul says in in Ephesians chapter 1, he's he's praying for the Christians, right? That's you and me. Hey, believe it or not, I know he was praying for the Christians in specific cities in the Mediterranean world. But the good news is his prayers are reverberating through the ages to us today. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul's praying that God will do something so that what we have in our minds enters our heart. So that we not only know if we want the hope of the gospel. Please, O Lord, would you open the eyes of our heart so that we may know this hope at a deeper level than just hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's think about this hope, trusting that the Lord's going to help us grab hold of it. What does this living hope that Peter has actually hope for? What does it actually hope for? Well, Paul helps us out a great deal. He summarizes the essence of all Christian hope in a short little phrase. Um, but it, and, it's, and it's a phrase of such importance that he creates a little prelude before he gives us the phrase. He wants to get us ready to receive it because it's so important. Here's what he says in the next line. He says, uh, he says this, I have become the church's servant... By the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. What's Paul saying? It's my job to give you all the Word of God, the whole Word of God, in in all its greatness and glory and incredible power and wisdom. My job is to present that Word to you in all its fullness. And that Word is, in effect, that the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul says, the word that I have to give you is actually a mystery that people have wondered about for generations. The Jewish people especially have wondered about exactly what is God up to in this world, and what is it all about, and that mystery has been revealed in Christ And that's what I'm going to present to you. And he goes on to conclude with these words, revealing the essence of Christian hope. That next slide, please. Just at the end there. So, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. The fullness of God was a mystery, and now I'm proclaiming it to you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the gospel. I mean, that, that's, that's the effect of the gospel. Anyone who receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through faith, anyone, is, has a new birth, And out of that birth, a hope is born that they will share in Christ's glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, you're going to be glorious because Christ is in you. You're not going to be just a mere human, uh, uh, you know, occupying space on the earth. You're going to be a child of God who glorifies him both in this life and perfectly in the life to come. That's the hope of glory. And so, I'm going to share in Christ's glory. That's what Paul's saying. The the, the gospel presents to you this reality. If you're a follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are going to share in his glory. And let's look at just two sides of that glory today. So, the hope of glory involves what? An immediate hope and an ultimate hope. An immediate hope that by the power and grace of God, I'm going to become more and more like Jesus as I follow him. So, I'm going to be more glorious. Um, I'm not boasting. I mean, I'm I'm just trusting God. The truth is, if you know my life, you would doubt that assertion. (laughs) Because there's plenty that still has to be worked out in my life in order for me to be, if you will, glorious. But the good news is that despite my limitations, despite my weaknesses, that God has begun a good work in me, and he's going to carry it onward. And the good news is that's true for every believer in Christ. That's true for you. Does that matter to you? Does it matter to you whether you're the same next year as you are today, or would you like to be changed? Would you rather be different, or would you rather be the same? I bet, I mean, I suppose you're following Jesus, you'd rather be more like Jesus, right? I mean, you'd rather say, Lord, you've heard this, you've heard this saying before, I'm not the man or woman, I'm not the man or woman I should be, but thank God I'm not the person I once was, right? I, I can say that. I'm sure that every Christian can say that. There's, God has worked changes in our lives. And you know, some of those changes happen quickly, right? I mean, at new birth, some things just go away. Like, you know, some of the more gross or a- external uh, bad habits that we have, often those things just peel away, whatever that might be. Um, and, and and some things take a little longer, right? Some of the more internal, attitudinal changes gradually change. I, I remember this. I remember this. I remember a sudden change. At, and I accepted Christ. And something instantly changed. Without self-concern. Without the same degree of paralyzing self-concern. I mean, I was so self-centered and so self-concerned. I realized, well... I don't have to prove myself to people. God has accepted me. I am his child. Then I don't need to be something I'm not. Change was the habit of, of, of self-concern. The habit of putting myself first. That only gradually changes and is still changing, but it worked. Thankfully, God was working in me and it's as gradually. Deme- I am at, I've hit a brick wall. There are things about me that need to change, but I don't, they don't seem to be changing. I'm stuck. I'm, 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 I, I've just hit a dead end. Old patterns persist, right? Particularly attitudinal things and dispositional things. I still want things that I shouldn't want. That we will never fully change, but that we cannot change ourselves. That in order to become the people we want to be, God has to work. What we have is, uh, and we can go to the next. How many of you have been believers um, more than 10 years? And those with your hands not up? I assume it's less than 10. I wonder if I'm changing at all. And when we hit those dead ends we have to remember, well it's, if it were up to me, probably it would fail. The project would fail. But because it's not entirely up to me, but because He has begun this work and he will carry it on to completion. He's still working in your life today. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, Paul inspires us to hope for personal transformation and he also tells us how it's going to happen in this next verse. He says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. What's he saying? We can see the, the goodness of Jesus, and we contemplate it. We think about Jesus. We focus our minds on Him. We 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 read. I hope we read the Bible regularly. Um, do you read the Bible regularly? do you Do you have a Do you have a pattern where, on a daily basis, you open up the Word of God? I'm I'm asking. I'm curious. Yes. No. Are you awake? (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, here's why. Here's why I asked. Here's why it matters. A survey was done of hundreds of thousands of Christians. This is a few years ago. Hundreds of thousands of Christians to discover what was working in the churches that were serving them. And they were trying to discover what um, what were the, the most reliable predictors that a person would grow spiritually. And they discovered that for about three to five years after a person was converted, that church participation was a good predictor of of spiritual growth. Someone gets saved and they get involved in a church. They attend church services um, and they maybe go to a small group, maybe a Sunday school class or whatever. They will grow for a couple, three, five years. But after that point, it tended to be that that pattern didn't work. Going to church was not enough. And the only only, uh, indicator that a person would grow after that three to five year period was this. The only people who steadily grew were the people who daily read the Bible. Regularly read the Bible, not daily. Regularly read the Bible. Something about exposing your heart and mind to the word of God you know, introduces his power to transform us as we contemplate his glory by what? Reading the New Testament. We are transformed from one glory to another. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, on his matchless goodness, his uh, amazing grace, right? His incredible wisdom and power and glory. That vision, that, that, that deep, concentrated vision is the means by which God changes us. And when we despair in that process, we need to cry out like David did. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? You can see the next slide here. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Ah, Lord, I'm not growing. I'm not changing. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. We don't look at ourselves. We look away from ourselves and we look to Jesus. And if we do that, and will will do that, he will change us. So there's living hope in the here and now. And then there's living hope in the, the, the life to come. There's immediate hope in the here and now. He's changing me. There's ultimate hope. What's he going to do in me, through me, and around me? And let's think about that. Number one, there is living hope of sharing in Christ's glory in the life to come. Now, if we have that hope, our lives are going to change. Um, <clears throat> and, and, uh, and so what is the hope, right? Right? Um you can go to that next slide if you will. Do you remember the scene at the end of the Bible earth and we have these incredible things and God says I am making all things new. Behold, the old order has passed away. I am making everything new. This is the climactic moment of God's redeeming work and the new and and that new thing that he's doing that new creation if you glory of god we are told there's no need for the sun because the glory of god illuminates the new the new heaven and the new earth coming that's all coming that's uh, you know when we think about heaven i hope that's what you think about this new heaven and new earth illuminated by god's glory ultimately everything in us and everything around us is going to become glorious, okay? And now I know that's a little bit hard to think about, but I want you to think about it just briefly because that will change us. Now, that's gonna happen within us. Now, what would, let, let me ask you this. Can you imagine what it would be like if you, if you had no more lusts, no, no more wayward desires, if you had no more inclinations to take revenge, if you felt no more um, envy toward anybody else, if you instead were filled with an, an unrestrained, unpolluted love, all your desires were pure, all your thoughts were godly, everything about you was saturated with God. Now, that's hard to imagine, because that's not how we are yet. But just imagine the relief of not having to wrestle with the flesh, and not having to wrestle against sin. Just imagine the relief of being completely free of all those problems that beset us as sinners in a fallen world. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. That's the way it's going to be. We have this hope. Here's what it says in, in, in 1 John. It says, now we are the children of God. Here we are, you and I. God bless you. We're children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We're not, we're not finished yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. When we see Jesus, all those sinful inclinations will disappear. All those wayward thoughts with a pure and a holy and a ferocious love. That's the hope of glory. Does that sound good? Or does it sound too good to be true? Maybe a little of both, right? It's good, I like that, but is it possible? Because it's the promise of God, friends, it is possible. And it's going to happen. And everybody who has that hope purifies himself. So if you believe that when we see him, we will be like him, then today you're going to desire purity because you know that's your destiny. My destiny is to be pure. Today I want to be pure. And that's how the future can influence the present. I'm hoping for purity. Today I'll pursue purity. Amen? Amen? Amen. So there's a hope of glory within us and there's a hope of glory upon us. He says, Peter, in his great mercy, giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. Of Jesus from the dead. He's giving us a clue that this future life is not going to be something that's purely spiritual and internal, but it's going to be external and physical, right? Christ was physically raised from the dead. Amen? And you'll you'll remember how it was after Jesus was raised, right? He he appeared in various ways outside the tomb, and Mary didn't quite recognize him. He was apparently didn't quite look like himself, but when he spoke, he was himself. And, uh, and he's walking along with two uh, disciples along the road to Emmaus, and they talk with him, and, and they don't know it's him. It's Jesus. And so somehow there's something different about his resurrection appearance that disguises his identity. And... Uh, Not only that, you know, when the disciples are huddled for fear in a closed and locked room, Jesus walks right in. He doesn't open the door. He just, poof, pops in. What's going on? Well, he's got a body, and how do we know it's a body? Well, Thomas says, I won't believe it until I touch him. And Jesus says, here, touch my my side, touch my hand. And, And not only that, he eats fish when they give it to him. It's a physical body, and yet it's not entirely the same body, and, uh, but, but what's going on? We're, you know well, let me ask you this: What is your vision of the afterlife? What do you think it's going to be like? Is it going to be uh, sort of immaterial, sort of like? A spirit floating on a cloud, interacting with other spirits, and Jesus is in the room? Is that, is that kind of a... I mean, Paul does say, you know, better to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So yes, there is a moment in dying, when physical dying, when we're going to leave our bodies, and there will be at least a period where we don't have a body, but that's not the end. That's not eternity. That's either a short time or no time at all. But the fact is that what's eternity is life in a resurrection body. Body. Wow. A body. Here's what Paul says, power, the next PowerPoint. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you're coming. Who, by the power that enables him to bring, so, that they will be like his glorious body? So in case you ever hoped for this, you might be able to walk through walls and earthy, with resurrection bodies. There's some physical dimension to it, and that, to me, is much more hospitable and appealing than thinking of a cherub on a cloud good news. There is going to be the hope of physical glory upon us. We will have a body like his glorious body. And finally, there's the hope of inherited glory around us. Peter talked about, you know, um, he has given us new birth into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And He sums that up in this next verse. This is also Peter. He says, keeping keeping it with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So what's that saying? It's not just us who are going to be glorified. It's not just going to be a troop of glorified people in heaven. There's going to be a glorified heaven and earth, new heaven and new earth. The entire environment, everything around us, is going to be permeated with God's glory. That's what he meant when he said, I am making all things new. The environment is going to be spiritually pure, permeated with glory. And just as earthy as earth is today, but supernaturally pure, permeated with righteousness. All right, so Paul, a living hope. It's a living hope of glory here and now. I'm going to be changed more and more like him. That's good news. It's it's a glory, an ultimate glory. That means I will be perfectly like him. I will have a resurrection body and I'll live in a glorified new heaven and new earth. good to be true. But I, and I hope for it. I have a certainty that what God has promised, God will do. Brothers and sisters, your destiny is so amazing. I can't even imagine how you can sit still. (laughs) I can't even imagine how you can just sit there and say, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. This is so exciting. This is so transformative that it ought to make us jump up and praise the Lord. I'm not going to make you do that, but I wish you were. (laughs) I think this is life transforming. The hope of becoming totally Christ-like with resurrection bodies in a new heaven and a new earth, that's the living hope Peter's talking about. And if we have it, we'll live differently today and tomorrow. So let me, let me close with this story. It's an account of a woman that I know about whose husband, a Christian woman, whose husband badly betrayed her. He, I mean, he slept around with all kinds of women and didn't really hide it. Um, he exhausted their savings with binge gambling. And finally, he just left her penniless to raise their children all by herself and he disappeared. And, and this, this dear woman, this is a true story, this dear woman had to take cleaning jobs in order to feed her and her kids. And one day, she was doing a cleaning job, happened to be scrubbing the bathroom floor, bathroom tile floor in someone's home. And uh, It seemed as she was kneeling on that tile with her wet knees, and the the, the weight of all her loneliness and despair and the grief of the life that she had lost all fell on her. She hit rock bottom, and she felt like she just couldn't go on. It just all collapsed on her in a moment. But instead of collapsing onto the floor in wails of grief, something totally unexpected happened she suddenly felt her body fill with light and with a strength that suddenly energized her as if there was no problem at all in the world and she said this she said i had to start singing it happened on earth this was not the end of the story she What what filled her was the Christian hope, the hope of glory, and that hope energized her so that everything in life, all her difficulties almost disappeared into the background and new life and energy flowed into her because she knew that the best was yet to come. That there would be, yes! transformation of herself she would be completely like Jesus she would have a resurrection body she would live on a perfected and energy for today so here's what I would say to us today simply this set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you when Jesus Christ comes back fix your hopes not on your bank account not on the next promotion. Not on the praise you might receive from friends, family, or other, other people. Set your Those aren't bad things. I'm not saying they're bad. You, you, you know, they're, they're part of life. But don't hope for that to make your life what it ought to be. Is a hope of glory. Fix your hopes there, and life will be good. Amen.